Thank you for tuning in to the Crossover Podcast. We hope this message inspires you and grows your faith. To learn more about Crossover, visit our website at crossovernorman.com or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Crossover Norman. Enjoy the message. Uh, I want to catch this up in context. I know some of you are new tonight and you don't know exactly what's going on here in 1 John. We're doing 1 John as our series for this semester. And um, I want us to know where we're at. What is John speaking to uh, before and, and during what is going on in this time frame? And he is speaking to a younger church. We know it's a younger church because church didn't start up until after Jesus had risen from the dead. And we know that Jesus had risen from the dead because John was there. So obviously this church isn't real old because churches didn't happen until after the resurrection of Jesus and after the Pentecost. And, I'm, and if you don't know what those things are, go look it up because it's amazing. Amen. And um, uh, we know it's a younger church. Now, now, if I could just use my brain for a second, I would assume that this church had been on fire for a while. It is growing. It has gotten that mountaintop experience. It's gotten that camp high. Anybody with me? And they're so close with Jesus and everything has been good, but then the plateau happens. And that, when that plateau happens, and that's when you really have to start really disciplining yourself and being with Jesus, I think at that moment is when the devil and his, and his demons come in and start using these false teachers and prophets, just being able to drop these little nuggets of things in the minds of these believers. Do I know exactly what they said? No, but I do know this, is that whatever they said made them, these believers, create this us and them mentality. An us and them mentality. You know, I think that the devil knows that it is very hard to implode a church, to implode a family, to implode a country from the outside in. But I think he's very smart to know that he can probably, if he can just get a drop inside of something, he can implode it from the inside out. And what John is trying to do is he's trying to build this common ground saying, listen, listen, Christians, listen, believers, listen, little children is what he calls them. We got to find some common ground here. The Lord loves you. He has died for you. He has saved you. And because of that, we should be followers of Jesus as we learn. In the first parts of John, we need, to, we need to learn how to walk this way and talk this way. And maybe there's some things that we need to remove. And, and if you evaluate your life and whatever doesn't matter, not in the light of Jesus, remove it so you're not encapsulated by this sin anymore. We got to get back to level ground. We got to get on common ground so we can start having some hard conversations that can do one thing and that can grow our intimacy and closeness with God. Last week we saw for you to grow your intimacy and your closeness with God, your walk needed to match your talk. And what John was saying is, for your walk to match your talk, you need to be able to make the Bible a non-negotiable in your life. And if the Bible is a non-negotiable in your life, 
then when that happens, you start living for what the Bible says. If it says to do this, you do it. If it says that you are loved, you need to know that you're loved. If it says that he has died for you, you know that he has died for you. If he has these promises for you, you know the promises for you. But when you start living the word and the commandments of the word, you start being desensitized to sin. And yes, that sin that had been happening in your life that you have been in for a while, you might have been desensitized to it. The yuck smell might have gone away. But if you start living by the word, it exposes what this sin is in your life. And you know that you need to separate yourself from that. But you got to be able to you got to be able to live by the word of God and do the commandments of God. Now, when I first read this back, I mean, years ago, I remember thinking, well, what are the commandments that I'm supposed to live? Like, like what exactly are you trying to say, John? Like, like, what exactly am I supposed to live? And I think that question comes naturally. Like, what commandments should we follow? And I love John because why he's direct but he's loving. And this is what he says in verse 7. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing you, which is true in him and in you, because darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. That's pretty confusing. I'm not writing you a new commandment. I'm writing you an old commandment. But at the same time, I'm writing you a new commandment. Okay, John, you're getting a little confusing there for my ADD brain. Anybody with me? All right. Verse 9, whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother still is in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Let me kind of summarize that first couple sentences for you. What John is saying is I'm not writing you a new commandment because we've already heard this commandment from the beginning. We already know that we are supposed to love God, but we're also supposed to love others. The Old Testament has told us that. But this is also a new commandment because there's a different shift. It's because now we have someone who has given us an example of what that looks like, and his name is Jesus. He set the example of what it looks like to walk in the pure light of God and to be able to come down and love people. He came to love. He came to serve. He came to be sacrificed for, for one reason and one reason alone, so that the world could be saved. He had one mission, one declaration, one priority. He didn't come to condemn the world. He came to what? Save the world. And that's what John is saying. He's saying that Jesus was this example of how we were supposed, how we are supposed to live. Now imagine this. John is saying, hey, this thing is about to implode and this thing is about to, to, to really have a mess of a church here and all these false prophets and false sayings and all this. And the thing that he says that you need to focus on when he says that this is the commandment that you are supposed to follow, is to, is to love, to love your brothers and your sisters in Christ, and to what? To not hate them. 
He knew if, that, if there was hate in someone's life, love did not abound. And where there's hate in someone's life, that part of their life there is not Christ. And I think for tonight, I, I, I am, I'm preaching on hate tonight. Everybody excited about that? And I think for tonight, I think we need to understand something. We need to understand that there's a lot of power in hate. And it's not good power. There's a lot of power in hate, and there's a lot of ways that hate can actually be so bad for us believers. And I don't think we understand that. I don't think we, need, I don't think we understand how much we need to run from hate, and we need to run towards love. So maybe tonight, let's focus on what this scripture says about hate and how we can learn from it and how we can run towards love. So if we look at the scripture, I think that there are three things that it does to a believer. If we can look at this scripture, I think there's three things that hate does for a believer. First, we see in verse 9, it says, Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. I think, number one, hate exposes your heart's bend. Hate exposes your heart's bend. I have really been praying about, like, God, how do I contextualize what is going on in John's life, in John's church? How do I apply what is going on in there, what is being said in there, what is going on in their life? How do I bring that to a bunch of 18 to 22-year-olds? Or 23 if you're taking extra victory, like, amen, all right? And I was like, well, I'll just... I'll just make it all future tense. Like, hey, when you are grown up and maybe you're out of your mom's basement playing Xbox all day, right? You got a real job. Hello. All right. Maybe you're wifed up by this time or, or your husband up at this time. Okay, ladies. All right. You're like, please, Lord Jesus, bring me someone. I was like, may I'll just keep it future tense. Someone walks up to you at church and they say something mean, like, this is how you should handle your hate and don't hate them. And if this happens, and like I was going to keep it all future tense, but God was like, listen, bro, like, like you're going to miss something. I need you, I need you to stay here with me. And I was really, I was like, Lord, like, like how do I make this hit? And he's like, he's like, stay with me. I was like, do I need to, do I need to skip to the next chapter? He's like, no, Brent, stay right here. Listen, dig a little deeper, pray a little more. And then finally the Lord like showed me something. He showed me that that hate doesn't come out of nowhere. Just like faith doesn't come out of nowhere. Faith, we hope, starts as small as a mustard seed and then can grow as big as a mountain. And I think we need to understand this, that hate starts as small as that, and it can also grow as a mountain. Hate for us, if I can just be honest with you, hate might be something that we haven't cut away from our life just yet. We just don't know it. It might be so small, so minute, that it might not have evolved into hate just yet, but we need to know that it might be something that we have not taken care of yet. And God said, hey, listen, Brent, there's something, you're starting to churn on something here. You're starting to see what I'm trying to say is that Maybe if these students knew how much easier it would be to remove that thing now than when it evolves into a size of a mountain when they're 35. 
I can't tell you how hard and how many hard conversations I have been a part of and how many counseling sessions I have been a part of because of someone who is trying to remove hate in their heart, remove hate in their character, remove hate in how they treated people because it became a mountain and God is like, hey, listen, why don't you teach these young students that, hey, why don't we notify this right now so we can remove it right now? And then he gave me this avenue and I felt such peace about it. And, and it's like God opened the door to this and, and, and at that moment I was like, that's it. That's like right now I'm at a hard point in my life and, and you know what? My heart bend right now is towards Jesus because I know when hard things come, I'm gonna turn to Jesus. When someone comes to me and says something that I could hate about them, I turn towards Jesus. My heart bend is towards Jesus. But some of us, our heart bend isn't that way and what God wanted me to maybe show y'all, and I hope that, that we, can, we can grasp this, is I think we need to understand what is the climate at which we operate. And if someone can understand maybe the climate at which they operate now, they can understand that that climate at which you operate, whether you're gonna bend towards God or bend towards something else, maybe if we can understand that now, we can know whether that's gonna produce a person that's gonna love or if that's gonna produce a person that is going to hate. Some of you right now, you're like, well, I don't hate anyone. And I get it. But what about the climate at which you operate right now? Will it allow you to grow to love or, lo or, or grow to hate? And this is where God wanted me to take this. I was like, well, Lord, what's, what's the framework at this where they're operating at? He goes, ask them this question. Does your heart bend towards you being a victim or having a victor over your circumstances right now? Because this covers both those who have hate right now or those who know that they're going to have hate later, if that's the climate that they're in. The climate at which you operate right now either bends towards you being a victim or having a victor over your circumstances. So something happens, someone says something are you always going to play this victim card? Are you all, and I've seen this happen so many times. I love what the Gospel Coalition posted, and this is what it said. If you have a victim mentality, you will see your entire life through a perspective that things constantly happen to you. Victimization is, a, is thus a combination of seeing most things in life as negative, beyond your control and as something you should be given sympathy for experiencing as you deserve something better. At its heart, a victim mentality is actually a way to avoid taking any responsibility for yourself or your life. By believing you have no power then, you don't have to take any action. 
So when you claim this victim mentality, you claim that bad things keep on happening to you, and then it gives you this lens in this world of negativity, and, and, and you become powerless, and you just can't do anything. You don't choose to love because you are in this victim mentality. Now my question to you is, is every time someone says something, you play the victim card. Every time something gets hard or stressful, it's, it's, it's a victim mentality. Every time that, that maybe you try to have a direct conversation with somebody, it is always this victim mentality. Do you think in that area, in that climate, do you think that you are going to prosper the rest of your life and grow more in love? Or do you think that's going to produce some hate? Because you cannot grow if you are surrounding your mind and thoughts in that negativity. And if you fall victim in this victim mentality, then this is what happens. You will always be a victim. And you can't love people if you are always a victim because you are always going to think that everybody else is out to get you. Or you don't trust them. Or... Or maybe they hate you. Or everyone is untrustworthy. Everyone doesn't believe what you believe. And what happens is instead of developing a life that's supposed to love others and care for others' needs and serve them and be the hands and feet of Jesus, what you start doing is you start reclusing and you start becoming isolated and then you only care about your cares, your wants, and your desires and you are not serving and loving and being the person that God wants you to be, and here's why, where John is saying this is bad. It's like, how can you love your brothers and sisters in Christ, and how can you be a friend that is, what the Bible says is closer than a brother, and how can you be someone like iron sharpens iron? How can you sharpen someone if you don't love them? How can you take someone else's burdens and make them your own? How can you think of someone more than you think of yourself if your heart is always bent towards being a victim? I promise you on this. I have seen more hate come from someone who is a victim than anything else. Let me tell you what victim really, this victim mentality really does is it always leaves God out of the equation. It always bends towards them and it never bends towards God. We have to evaluate, do we have this victim mentality or do we know that there's something greater? We know that God is in control. We know what he can do. And what happens is that hate, this hate exposes someone's heart because they bend away from God and they bend towards their pain and their problems and their sadness. And in that climate, if, if this hasn't happened yet, it will happen. It will breed hate and it will not breed love. So John warns us, whoever says that he's in the light and he still hates his brother is still in darkness. Why? Because the bend of your heart is only in your victimization. It's not in the victor of Jesus Christ. But it doesn't only expose that. What else does hate expose? 
Hate exposes your pull and it doesn't support your push. Verse 10, it says, Who loves his brother abides in light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Here's that word again, abide, like we learned last week. We learned that abiding is remaining, or we also heard that it was, it was hanging out with Jesus. And if you abide with Jesus, and you hang with him, and you remain in him, and you do life with him, then his character rubs off on you, and you become more like Jesus. You act like him. You love like him. You pursue other people like him. And when you are hanging out with Jesus and being like Jesus, your goal is one of two things, to either push people to Jesus or push people closer to Jesus. And what I mean by that is that you're either leading people or you're growing people. You're either evangelizing or you're discipling. That's our identity. That's the new identity. That's when people look at you, they don't see the reflections of the world. They see a born-again, sold-out follower of Jesus who does life with Jesus. And your whole life is to push people towards Jesus, to push them. Hey, you don't know Jesus? Let me tell you about Jesus. Push them. Hey, you know what? You're kind of struggling with your walk with Jesus. Hey, why don't you come on over and let's spend a couple of weeks just digging in his word together, pushing people more into Jesus. It's all about pushing people more to Jesus and loving them and caring for them and making them closer to him. See, do people see that push in your life or do they see the pull? Your life isn't, if it's not pushing people towards Jesus, sadly, it's probably pulling people away. And for some of us, it might just be a direct hate towards someone who has done something wrong to you right now and you are making a choice to not show that person the love of Jesus in your life. You're not answering the texts. You're not answering the phone calls. You're not, you're not opening the door for them. And you are turning your back on what God wants you to do, and you are choosing to hate them. And we forget so passionately those passages in the Bible about loving your enemies or praying for your enemies or forgiving someone 77 times seven times and we even forget about when we were sinners Christ died for us and instead of showing them that love of Christ we are showing them our hate and we're pulling that person away from Jesus and we're also pulling other people who are watching us how we handle this hate pulling them away from Jesus and we are pulling and we're not pushing and if we look closely here what does it say it's only those who abide in Christ that love their brother and it's only those who abide in Christ that are not stumbling blocks for others and this is where it gets real the only way for you to be able to love right is for you to be able to understand how much you are loved. And the only way, students, the only way for you to be able to know how much you are loved and to understand how much you are loved is for you to abide in Christ. You have to spend time with Christ in order to know how much you love. And the only way for you to love people the right way is to know how much you are loved by Christ and how he works in you is how you are going to work through other people and love them the way that Jesus loves them. 
you grow so passionate with Jesus and you feel his love for you. You grow in his word. You do life with him. And you fall so madly in love with Jesus that you want other people to experience Jesus the way that you are. That's the life. Do you feel that right now? Are you so passionate about what Jesus has done for you and doing in you right now that you want to push people closer to them? And when people even come at you with hate, they might hate you. They might hate you because you're bald with a beautiful beard. It happens, all right? Not yet. It took me about 26 before I got bald. All right. But when someone comes at you with hate, guess what? You have an option when you have that walking with Jesus and doing life with Jesus. You have an option. And that option is, is you know what? I'm going to show you Christ's love. I'm going to show you what he can do. I'm not going to hate you. I'm actually going to love you. I'm actually going to be there for you. I'm not, I know that we might have differing of views, but I'm not going to hate you for it. And you're going to bring them the love of Jesus, and you're not going to be a stumbling block because you won't be pulling people away from his plan, but you're going to be pushing them closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Students, you have to ask yourself, is my life right now, am I pushing people closer to Jesus or is my life pulling them away from Jesus as I walk? Lastly, the thing that we see here is hate brings blindness. Verse 11 says this, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. I think this is pretty self-explanatory. John is stating that those who choose to hate their brothers or their sisters in Christ are actively choosing to walk in darkness. And when that choice happens, listen, when you choose to walk in hate, you choose to walk in darkness, and when that happens, you lose all sense of spiritual direction. You, that, I mean, you need to understand that, is that you lose the sight of what Jesus wants you to see. You lose the sight of where you to step next. You lose the sight to be able to see what God is trying to do in your life. You lose your spiritual vision because you are choosing hate rather than choosing love. That's some big ramifications for us to hate. Um, I was in seminary and I was doing some, some wall push-ups. Anybody with me? Because I wanted to get swole. I was starting to get a dad bod at 24 and I was trying to work on it. But as I was doing some wall push-ups, something happened with my eye where I actually lost vision in my right eye. And um, I went to the hospital, long story short, is uh, they deducted that I had blown something in my eye and I could not see out of 85% of the center of my dominant right eye. And the next day I, I rush over to the ophthalmologist and he's looking at it and he, as he's just, you know, he's getting to know me, he's like, what do you do? I'm like, well, I'm an intern at a church, I'm going to seminary. He's like, oh, you're one of those. I'm like, I guess so. Awesome and handsome. And, you know, we're able to, like, 
we're, we're able to have just, you know, I understand he's not a Christian and he understands that I got a good personality, right? And we're able to have a conversation. But he's asking me these Christian questions. How do you believe this? How do you believe that? And I'm like, well, God is real, all this. And he looks in my eye and he makes a statement. And he goes, listen, I do got some bad news. I mean, you've, you've done some pretty bad damage to your eye. Um, how far it is right now, uh, it's, it's pretty bad, and it, and it could get bigger. I can put a needle in your eye right now and shoot this type of medicine that will actually stop the bleeding right now, but you need to know um, that it will blind you the size of the needle, and the size of the needle looks to be about the same size as the, the, the tear right now. Or you can leave it alone and we'll see if maybe it'll close up by itself and, and, and maybe shrink up just a little bit. You'll still have some blinding in that eye, but it may not be as big or it won't stop bleeding and it will continue to grow. I was like, huh. So either be partially blind or have the possibility of being fully blind in my right eye. I was like, well, stick that four-inch needle in my eyeball, right? Yes, I lay down. They do all their contraptions all over me. And no lie, that dude's got this big of a needle. And whoo, right? I was just like, all right, this is, my, this is my new life. This is what I got to deal with. And no lie, he is coming down towards my eye with that needle. And he pulls back. You ready for this? He pulls back and he says, how much do you believe in your God? I said, I believe in him a lot. I believe in him with my life. He says, do you believe in him for your vision? I said, I got like the, the, the goosies. I was like, heck yeah, I do. He goes, let's see if God will stop this bleed. I go, deal. Just, just, just right eye, no big deal, right? He goes, I'll see you in two days. I go, yes, sir. So I go home when, when my, my best buddy Hobbs, and we pray for two days. No lie, it was probably a couple hours that we prayed, and I walk in that second day, and I come in, and I sit down. He remembers me, and he's like, hey, Christian. I'm like, hey, non-Christian. <laughs> he gets his little scope, and he's looking in my eye, and he looks at my other eye, and then he looks back at this eye, and he goes, which eye was this again? I'm smiling. And he looks back at my right eye, and he pushes away. Like he pushes, he's on his little roller chair, and he pushes away. And I look at him, I said, my God is real. And no lie, he goes, this can't be. This can't be. And I go, I told you, God is real. He goes, not only did he, he stop the bleed, but I go, I know, he gave me back my vision. He healed me. He goes, it's, it's better than perfect. And I said, I know because my God is real. And at that moment, that doctor said, I, I have to believe that there's a God. And I said, praise be to Jesus. One of the best moments of my life. Now, students, listen, some of us right now, I know that you are going through hell with somebody right now. 
Maybe some of you right now, there is so much hate in your heart towards somebody else. Tempers have been raging. Hate has been brewing. And you know that it has spiritually depleted you. You know it. Maybe some of this in this room, when I talked about victim mentality and something's always happening and I don't trust anybody and uh, I can see that, Brent, I can see how that I'm secluding myself from people and I'm not trusting them and I know that it's going to be an us and them mentality and I can see how that negativity is going to turn to hate and it's going to make me not love people the way that I'm supposed to love people. Let me tell you something, students. If you choose hate, it's going to be like grabbing that four-inch needle and making yourself blind. You are choosing to be blind to what God can do in and through the rest of your life. But if you choose Jesus, and you don't choose hate. You're saying, I don't know how this will end, Lord. I don't, I don't know, but I know that I want to continue my closeness with you. And I know that I want to grow in you. I am not going to choose hate. I am not going to choose that in my life. I'm going to choose that you are in control. You are Lord. I am not. And I'm going to serve and I'm going to love and I'm going to be the person that you want me to be. Because I want to see what you can do with the rest of my life. Students, you choose hate, you choose to be blind. But if you trust Jesus and you love the person who has wronged you, who maybe even you have hated, you will see God use this for his glory. Maybe you take the victim mentality away and you toss it out the window and say, I'm tired of being blind and I'm ready to see you move in me in ways that I've never seen before. That is at the moment when you choose to love your brother. That's the moment when you choose to love your sister and not hate them. If you choose hate, you're choosing to be blind. But let me tell you, someone who has trusted Jesus in this process, it is so freeing to see Jesus work in love of your life, and it's so freeing for him to maneuver in your life and to grow in your life because you're choosing him over choosing this thing in your life. Students, I beg you tonight, if you have learned anything, choose Jesus. It's worth it, amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for who you are, and my beg tonight is that people see that if we choose hate, love will not abound. And maybe some of us in, in here tonight, we're choosing hate. And I beg tonight that we lay it down. Um, I beg tonight that we have the capacity to be able to tell ourselves, I am a person that is one of two ways. I'm either a person that is choosing to hate, and I know that I'm turning my back on God, and I'm, I'm turning my back on what he can do. Or maybe some of us in here, we know that we're playing this victim card and, and everything is against us, everyone is against us, and we are consistently choosing to be a victim rather than bending our heart towards God and knowing that he's got all things in control. He's got our future in his hands, he's got our problems, 
He's got our past, he's got our present, he's got our future. He is in control, and we need to learn to bend our heart towards Jesus and choose Jesus. And I promise you, students, when you take the hate away and you learn to love in that capacity, you will see miracles happen. You will see that Jesus can maybe reconcile that relationship or or God can lead that other person maybe even to Jesus. Or God can lead that other person closer to Jesus. And the people around us can not just see our hate, but they can see his love in and through you. And they're like, man, you should just hate this person, but you love them. And let me tell you why I love them. I love them because, man, Jesus loves me. He's died for me. He has done the world for me. And he's asked me not to hate people. He's asked me to love people. And that's why I love people the way that I do. What a testimony. Students, let us have that testimony. Maybe some of us in here tonight, we've never even thought about this. And we want a relationship with Jesus like that where we can abide in him and grow in him and learn his word and have a forever eternity with him. And my beg for you tonight is to do exactly what that last song says. Believe that he died for you, that he rose again on the third day for you. And if you just say it, you believe it, and you confess it, and you walk it, then you will be saved. 